Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? We're going to begin reading in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Now we'll concentrate on verses 22 and following. But I want to drop back and I, I want to read this whole entire uh, passage in its entirety and its context. Uh, two weeks ago we covered the first three points that I'll make reference to in the introduction today and that you have in your uh, study notes there. And then we're going to look at just one point this morning to round out this section. Don't get excited about just one point. You know, I can go on for a pretty good while about one point. So, but anyway, uh, he's continuing his call for the people of God to be holy. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God." Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And Father, this morning we're, we're so grateful to be able to confess that you are indeed good. You're a good God, a merciful God, a saving God. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, we see in this passage that it is not to be a salvation to complacency, but a salvation to holy living. Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to live as you have so commanded. Lord, that in the community that is called the church, that there would indeed be a difference from communities that are out there in the world. Lord, may we be an oasis in here of your saving grace and of our love for one another and encouragement for one another. 
Now, Lord, you inspired this scripture through your Holy Spirit. And so I pray now that you would illuminate our minds that we might understand that which you've written. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, there is, to me, what is considered probably one of the most encouraging stories in all of the Bible about love that we are to have for one another. If you're acquainted with 2 Samuel chapter 9, you know that David is now the king. David had made a covenant with King Saul and Saul's son, Jonathan, that he would not destroy Saul's descendants after he was anointed king. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David poses a question. He asked, is there no one left of Saul's household to whom I can show kindness and love? Now David is told that there is a son of Jonathan by the name of Mephibosheth who is crippled in both legs. Chapter 4 of 2 Samuel tells us what had happened to him when it was reported that Saul and Jonathan were dead. The nurse who was looking after Mephibosheth picked him up to run. Mephibosheth was only five years of age and as the nurse held him in her arms and ran, she stumbled and fell and she dropped him. Now apparently in that fall there was some type of injury to his spine and so thereafter Mephibosheth was crippled in both of his legs. You'll recall David had been extremely close to Jonathan. They were like best friends and brothers. No doubt it's that relationship that motivated David to want to know uh, if there was some kind of great act of kindness that he could do to one of Saul's descendants. When he learns of Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth is brought forward to David and he tells Mephibosheth, from this day forward, you are going to sit at the king's table and you are going to be fed from the meat and the food that is off of my very table. And moreover, I'm going to give command to my men that they're going to work your fields for you and you will be able to gain the profit from what they they do. It's a story of love and of kindness. Now folks, as we turn to our text this morning in 1 Peter, we see that we are to be a loving people. We are to be a loving people. We are to love one another the way that David loved uh, Jonathan and Jonathan's descendants. We are to be a loving people in the body of Christ. And I'm grateful that that is something that you appear to me anyway to do very well at. But it's something we always got to give attention to. Now this is a section of 1 Peter that is filled with imperatives. It's filled with commands. In the first half of chapter 1, Peter has written that we have a great salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. God has given us eternal life to an inheritance that will never pass away. Now what does that demand of us? 
That's what Peter goes on to discuss in the second half of the chapter. That the salvation that we have is not a salvation to complacency or apathy, but it is a salvation that is to result in holy living. And so he gives four commands. We looked at three of them two weeks ago. The first command we saw in verse 13, that we are to be a people of hope. And then we saw in verses 15 to 16 that we are to be a people of holiness. And then beginning in verse 17 we saw that we are to be a people of fear, reverential fear toward God. Well today we see that we are to love. And what we'll learn today is that God's people are enabled to love one another because of our new birth in Christ. And God plants within us a love that is able to last. A love that is able to endure. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is that we are to love one another. Again, this is the only point we're going to go over and it rounds out the message from two weeks ago. We're to love one another. Pick up reading with me again in verse 22 to see this. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Folks, one's relationship with God is never to be simply a private or personal matter. How often times have we heard people say something like, my faith is my business. It is a personal matter. It is a private matter. Well, yes, it is a personal matter, but yet at the same time, it has a corporate dimension to it as well. Christians around the world have sometimes been very critical of American Christianity in this regard because in America we tend to, to lean towards being lone rangers. Now the trouble with that is it's not New Testament. From the beginning of the New Testament, Jesus chose 12 disciples and for three years he invested his life in those 12 disciples and he discipled them and they became a band of brothers together that Jesus was going to send out on mission together in the world and they needed one another. They weren't to live out in their faith in isolation from one another. They were to go out into the world as, as a band of brothers bearing witness of Christ. And then in Acts chapter 2 we see the birthday of the church that the Holy Spirit has fallen uh, on the disciples and on that day God added greatly to the church. And in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2 the Bible says that those who came to faith in Jesus continued steadfastly together in the apostles' doctrine in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 the writer of Hebrews admonishes us. He says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but let us meet together and provoke one another to love and to good deeds. And so all through the pages of the New Testament, you and I see that there is to be a corporate nature to our faith. We are a body, the body of Christ. 
And the Bible says in the body of Christ we are individually members one of another. I want to give marriage as an example of that too. We see this same principle at work in Christian marriage. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he said, you don't have authority over your own body. You see, first of all, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, he says, your body belongs to your spouse. We hear today, my body is my own. I'll do with it what I want. Wrong. Your body belongs to God first and your spouse second. You're third in line. But my point in using marriage is to say that just like in marriage where a husband and wife are members one or of another and to look after one another, and in the body of Christ there's this body concept, this corporate concept that, that we are members of the body of Christ and we are to mutually pray for one another and encourage one another and look after one another. There is not to be a Lone Ranger mentality in the church. Whether it's marriage or whether it's the church, you and I are not to live out our faith in isolation from others. It seems that far too often, not only in our personal lives, not only in our marriages, but also in the church, we tend to think all of this is for me. Or we might think, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? That is unbiblical thinking. Folks, we desperately in the American church today need to understand that we are a corporate body. All of the members function together under the head who is Christ. Together we are able to glorify the head through the mutual ministry that we have. And in this mutual ministry we are to love one another. In fact, the Bible says when one of us hurts, we're all to hurt. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. In the upper room, Jesus said to his disciples, love one another by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another in the book of Acts we see a great example of how they carried out this command turn with me back to Acts chapter 4 for a moment Acts chapter 4 beginning in verse 32 says now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own but they had everything in common and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all there was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to each as any had need Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so they understood that there was to be this corporate dimension to our faith. Now I want you to notice what Peter does at the very beginning of verse 22. He links this command to love one another with their conversion. 
He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. He's speaking there of their conversion. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere uh, brotherly love, love one another. Salvation enables us. It equips us. It makes us able to be able to love. We're saved, we're born again, and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So once you're saved, once you're enabled and equipped uh, uh, to, to love as God commands you to, he says that we're to do that. We're to look at one another differently than people out in the world look at one another. Before you might have been filled with hatred, you might have been filled with envy or jealousy, or self-interest but now that you're saved you are to look after the needs of other people Peter is saying since you have this new capability that you didn't have when you were lost when you were dead in trespasses and sins you need to love you've been saved so that you can love Along with many other things that salvation makes you capable of, you're to love. And since you're now capable, it's like he's saying, just do it. Just do it. The Apostle Paul is another one who points this truth out. He says that if you do not have love for one another in the body of Christ, it's because you're lost and you still dwell in darkness. A couple years ago, I told you a story. Dr. Charles Page, First Baptist of Charlotte, who's, of course, passed away now. But he told the story of going to the mountains and preaching a revival. And he said he got in that little country church, and he couldn't believe his eyes. There was a rail, a fence, or a rail down the middle aisle. And he thought, well, some churches have a rail down front, kind of like a kneeling rail or a kneeling bar. Maybe that's what that's supposed to be. And he asked the pastor why that fence was there. The pastor didn't know. They asked the deacons. The deacons didn't know. One of them said, well, we know who will know. There's a man in the church who's in his 90s. He's been here all his life. He said, sure, I'll tell you why it's there. Because years ago we had a fight in the church. And rather than splitting, this side who felt one way decided they'd sit over here and this other side sit over here and Never the two again would cross. They said, well, sir, don't you think it's time we tear down that fence? He said, not as long as I'm living. <laughs> Dr. Page said he read that verse out of 1 John. If you don't love, you abide in death. They got to church that night and that man, that little frail man with his claw hammer was taken down that fence. We're to love one another. Peter adds two qualifiers in verse 22 as to how we're to love. He says we are to love with a sincere love. The, the word is literally without any hypocrisy. There is not to be any kind of two-facedness about how we love one another. Love somebody to their face but then something else behind their back. He says no it is to be a sincere love. Not only a sincere love but it is to be a fervent love. A passionate love. 
Christians are to love one another and our love is to have zero hypocrisy to it and we're to love one another passionately. Folks, think about it. There's to be nothing casual or half-hearted in our love one for another. You and I are to be investing our lives to one another in the body of Christ because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord and we call on one Father. We're a family. There ought to be something very special about a church family. We come here to worship together, but we're to be a family beyond these walls. We should not walk into church, simply shake a few hands, speak to a few people, get done with worship, jump in our cars, take off, and then have little to nothing to do with one another until next week. That's not the way it's supposed to be. There is to be a family bond in the church, a genuine concern for one another. So if somebody is hurting in their job, we all come around them and pray. If somebody's hurting in their family, we all come around them and pray. If somebody's marriage is suffering, if somebody's kids are going off the rail, we're all concerned and we pull together to help out. If you and I are too busy in our lives to live that way in community of faith in the church, then then we're too busy. I realize we've all got our messes to deal with. But there's to be a genuine sense of community in a church family. It is true biblical conversion that makes all of this possible. And so if you know somebody who claims to be a Christian, but they're not investing their lives in a church family, something is deeply wrong at the very core of their faith. Peter's not done with this thought yet. Peter sandwiches his command to love with motivations. The motivation of the new birth that he states in two different ways. Both before the command and after the command, he gives the new birth as the rationale for his command. You think of it this way, maybe think of it as a sandwich, and the meat is in the middle. And what is the meat? Well, the meat is what happens halfway down through verse 22, where he gives the command, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's the meat of the sandwich. Okay, what happens on each side of the meat? What happens for the first slice of bread? Verse 22, the first part of it, we looked at that a moment ago, where he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. And then down in verse 23, he states the same thing again, but in a different way. He says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable And so he has the command sandwiched in between these two motivations. Now there's a little different emphasis in each motivation. The first slice of bread, the first nine words in verse 22. Look at what he says, having purified your souls by your obedience 
to the truth for a sincere brotherly love he uses there the cleansing metaphor some people feel like maybe first Peter was a baptismal homily and the first metaphor that he's using here is a cleansing metaphor that in the new birth we've been cleansed to an obedience to the truth so the cleansing metaphor and then in verse 23 he goes from the cleansing metaphor to looking at it more from the internal perspective using the metaphor of seed that has new life in it life springs forth from the seed and the seed he's referring to here is the word of God now folks think about this metaphor for a moment because as they looked around at their natural surroundings they could see the results of seeds they would go outside in the springtime and, and see grass and flowers just like we do at least maybe to the snow and ice this morning might have killed it but you go outside this time of the year and you see things turning green you see the you see the flowers blooming you see the result of seeds life coming from seeds well, he's saying here in verse 23 God's done the same thing with his word he compares his word to seed when you receive his word Paul says in Romans 10 faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God when we hear the word of God there's life in it it's like seed planted in the soil of our heart life comes from that conversion is not simply you and me turning over a new leaf conversion is God's doing it's God's work it's God giving you new life and this life is in his seed, his word. Because as we read his word, we find out about our sinful condition and we also read of Jesus, our Savior and God's Son. And so God brings life from the seed of the message preached. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says the same thing. He says the world looks at the preaching of the word of God as foolishness. But he goes on to say, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He says God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And so Peter is saying you have this new life in you. You can love because you've been given new life. You have a new life and a new power that comes with conversion. And so again, the meat's in the middle. Love one another. One piece of bread is you've cleansed yourself by obeying the truth for this love. The other piece of the bread is the word of God is seeding you, giving you new life, enabling you to love. So there's a motivation from the outside and a motivation from the inside that we ought to love one another. But Peter's not done with this yet. Folks, I want you to follow his logic here. It's so rich what he's teaching. <clears throat> he points out by quoting from Isaiah 40, he says, All flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Seeds in nature bloom and there's, there's new life, but that new life can die and it does die. 
those flowers in your yard right now. You might go home this afternoon and they'll be dead. Now in Peter's part of the world, which was a desert climate, beautiful flowers could spring up in the morning and by that night they were already dead because of the heat. And that's why he's quoting from Isaiah 40. Because everything in this world that comes from seed is very transitory. It's like James says, life is just a vapor. But in contrast to that, the life that comes from the seed of the Word of God endures forever. It doesn't wilt. It doesn't perish. And he says, and this is the word that was preached to you. Folks, don't miss what he's saying here. The seed of the word that brings about new life in you is eternal. When God brings you to new life, when God converts your soul, it is a conversion that we believe lasts forever. We don't believe you lose your salvation. If you've been truly converted, God has, has given inside of you a new life. You've been born from above, spiritual life, and that life will last through all of eternity. And so everything that comes with that new life will also last. Love as it's seen out in the world will be like flowers in the world that perish. But love that comes as a result of the seed of God's word endures forever because your conversion endures forever. You see how rich this analogy is that he's using? The world's love is very conditional. Somebody may love you today and, and tomorrow they all of a sudden don't love you anymore. It can change that quickly. But that's not how Christian love is. If the love you show people is here today and gone tomorrow and conditional in nature, you, all you're doing is loving like the world loves. But if you love people through thick and thin unconditionally, that's God's kind of love. And Peter is saying in the church, we need to love with God's kind of love. How do you love? Like the world or like God? Before I close, I, I want to I point out Dr. Karen Jobes, one of the best commentaries available today on, on 1 Peter, uh, comes from a lady, Dr. Karen Jobes. It's in the Baker Academic Series. And, and in her commentary on this passage, she says, you know what? He is quoting from Isaiah 40, verse 6 here. But we need to go back to Isaiah chapter 40, she says. And we need to read that whole entire chapter because we really need to understand the power uh, of the full analogy that he's using here. And so I, wanna, I want us to do that. Turn back to Isaiah 40 for just a moment 
and we may not read it all but we'll read a lot of the chapter in verse 6 of Isaiah 40 he quotes here uh, he says a voice says cry and I said what shall I cry all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field the grass withers the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it surely the people are grass the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever now that's the portion of Isaiah 40 that Peter quotes but Dr. Job says we got to keep on reading keep on reading verse 9 go up on a high mountain O Zion herald the good news lift up your voice with strength O Jerusalem herald the good news lift it up fear not say to the cities of Judah behold your God behold your God look at verse 12 Speaking of God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with the span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Look down at verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. Verse 18, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast for it silver chains. Verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Look down at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God have you not known have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable he gives power to the faint and to him who has no might he increases strength as Job says you think of who Isaiah is writing to Isaiah was writing to X who God was promising he was going to bring them back to their land and they weren't going to be exiles anymore and they might be tempted to say how in the world is this going to happen because we look around us as, at the nations that we're under their power and their authority and we just don't see how in the world it can happen but God says it's going to happen because after all I'm your God he says and there's nothing impossible for him well Peter's readers were like exiles in the world as Christians are we're strangers and pilgrims and in this world there are powers that are hostile powers that are greater than you and powers that are greater than me but in the church we serve the king of kings and lord of lords he's in our midst through the power of his spirit he's with us as well within us greater is he 
who is in us than he who is in the world. So the world is no threat to this God that we serve. And this God that we serve has put his life in us. In us individually through the power of his spirit and in us corporately in the church, Jesus said where two or three are gathered together, he's in our midst. So everything that you and I need to live holy lives in this world, God supplies. Amen? Whether it is a call to love whether it is a call to live in reverential fear, whether it is a call to live in holiness, whether it is a call to live in hope. When you understand the God that you serve and you belong to Him, nothing is too difficult for Him. Whatever He commands you to do, He's able to empower you to do it. So can you love in a world like we live in? Yes. If you've got him in you, if he's brought about the new birth in you, then he supplies you with everything that you need to live a godly Christian life. Love one another. Jesus said, all the world will know that you love one another, that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now back to that illustration a moment ago that I opened up with a moment ago. Mephibosheth, remember what David said to Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, forever you will eat at my table. A love that lasts. Peter is saying to the church, you need to exercise a love that lasts. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning, please? <clears throat> this morning, I want to ask you to examine your heart. Do you have a love for the brethren that lasts? Or is your love for others built upon conditions? I'll pat you on the back if you pat me on the back. That's not love. Jesus said even the tax collectors do that. That doesn't take faith. Anybody in the world can love with that kind of love. But a Christian love is to be different. The Bible says you and I are even to love our enemies. God may even put a person in your life that is difficult to love. Have you ever thought that that might be a test from the Lord to see if you're going to obey Him? And by the way, that person that may be difficult to love, they may be the very person who needs your love the most. Christian, how do you love? Do you love with God's love that lasts or do you love with the world's love that's here today and gone tomorrow. What kind of love do you have? Is there a lack of love in your life? If there is, again, the Apostle John says that lack of love is actually evidence that you've never been saved. That's powerful to think about. 
That's not my opinion. That's not your opinion. That's the Apostle John writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. He said, if you don't love, you still remain in darkness. If that's you, I want to invite you to come to Christ this morning. Maybe you're looking for a church home where you can invest your life and pray for other believers and encourage them and live in community together, helping one another, serving Christ together in a lost world. You need a church home. We'd love to be your church home. And together, we can be the body of Christ. In this community, serving Christ in a lost world that definitely needs to see a Christian family doing that. Again, I commend you for your love for one another. Do so even more. Father, thank you for these commands that we read about in the Scripture. Lord, we know that they are commands that you will enable us to carry out. Help us to live in hope, in holiness, in reverential fear, and also in love. Lord, we read the headlines that are going on in the world, and it seems like every week now, the world is obtaining new heights of hatred. Lord, I pray that as people look at churches all over the world, that they would see genuine New Testament churches where believers love one another. That they would be drawn to that love. May it be true. And God, I pray for that one this morning who needs to step out and embrace the love of Christ. That you would give them boldness to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.